Hello, faith community. We find ourselves in Mark chapter 6 today as we read through the New Testament in a year. Now, I want to focus in this text on how to read the Bible. There's a lot of information that we can glean from this text if we're paying attention to what we're reading. We're reading it in its original context, and if we compare it to other passages in Scripture. So we're gonna, I'm going to show you how to do that with different parts of this passage here. So first thing I want you to notice is in Mark 6.3, we have the most extensive list of Jesus' immediate family. It says this, Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Now, the context is that in Nazareth, Jesus is rejected by his family and his relatives. And he says a prophet is without honor in his hometown. We'll talk about that in a second, but first I want you to notice this. This list of Jesus' family shows us that he had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. It says sisters plural, so that means there's more than one. Now, what else we know is we know right here James later on became a believer, and he wrote the book of James. Now, you might think, well, how do we know the book of James wasn't written by the apostle James, who is one of Jesus' 12 disciples? Well, that disciple was the very first one martyred. He was martyred before the book of James was written. So James is written by James, the brother of Jesus. And now this is interesting. The book of Jude was also written by a brother of Jesus. How do we know? Because in the introduction to Jude, it says the brother of James. And the only James, only prominent James that we have that he could be referring to is the brother of Jesus. So if Jude is the brother of James, he's also the brother of Jesus. Now, this could be another name for Judas right here in Mark 6, or it could be a fifth brother that's not mentioned in this list. What we see is that Jesus had a large family, but that large family rejected him. Why is that? Well, it, he says this, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. Now, this is a principle for society in general. It's not saying something spiritual. It's saying it's just a principle for the real world. This is how the world works. People who see somebody from their family, from their hometown, see that person as an equal, and it's hard to, to respect them as a superior. So for the people who've observed Jesus' life from boyhood, it's hard for them to see him as a superior. Now Jesus' response to this, it says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. Why is Jesus amazed at their unbelief? Well, think about this. They observed him for 30 years and he never sinned. That should stand out. That should stand out to them. Even before he starts his public ministry where he's working miracles, he's lived a perfect sinless life in front of them. They should accept him, but they reject him. And the reason they reject him is because of their hard hearts. This is the message we see in Mark, is that he comes to his own and his own don't receive him. They reject him. Why? Because their hearts are Hard. And all this is pointing forward to this new covenant reality that in the new covenant, we're going to be given a soft heart. We're going to be given a heart of flesh. A heart of stone is going to be removed. The law is going to be written on our hearts. Now, keeping that in mind, remember, this is written before the new covenant is a reality. And so sometimes we'll read in the Gospels and we'll see the way that people treat Jesus or we'll see the way the disciples will respond and we'll think that we're in the same category 
well, yeah, we're going to struggle with respecting people in our hometown too because we're in the same category. We're not in the same category. You see, the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts. And what that means is we don't need to be condemned to this truism in the world that people have trouble seeing people who are equal to them as superior. Instead, we can recognize that we can be given supernatural respect for those God appoints as leaders over us. Now, I see this at Faith Community. I grew up here. People have known me at this church since I was a child, but they voted for me to be their senior pastor. They respect me. They treat me with respect. What that shows me is not that I am respectable or superior, but that God's done a supernatural work in the community at Faith, where people can actually see me and respect me despite the fact that they know me. They see that I'm fallible. They see that I fall short. They've seen my mistakes, and they respect me. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in their life. The next thing that we see here in the passage is Jesus sending out the Twelve. He's been taking them along throughout his great Galilean ministry and training them, equipping them, and then he sends them out and he gives them authority. Now, it's really important that we're careful here. When we read the Gospels, we're reading a narrative account of the life of Jesus Christ. And I want you to learn to make this this distinction when you're reading Scripture. Distinguish between description and prescription. Sometimes when people are reading history, they think of it as a prescription. Okay, this is exactly what we're supposed to do. This is exactly how things are going to work for us today. And we need to understand the difference between description and prescription. So right here, when Jesus is telling his disciples what they are to do, when he's sending them out, this is a specific mission for these 12 at this moment in time. So we don't read this and say, okay, this is God's design for every missionary for all time everywhere. This isn't a prescription for missions. This is a description for how Jesus sent out his disciples. Now there's there's a problem here. We can throw the baby out with the bathwater. If we're just reading this like some historical story that has no application to us today, then we can we can respond so much that we forget that this is meant for us to apply to our lives. All scripture is God breathed and it's profitable for for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. It's profitable for this. So so don't read into it but also don't write it off. What does that mean? Well, we see here things that we can learn analogously, by by analogy, when we look at the disciples being sent out. So we don't have apostles with the same sort of authority today that these 12 had. God gave them that authority so that they could prove who they were, and it could ratify their words as Scripture. So we could recognize that what they're writing is the command of God. The revelation they're having is straight from God. Uh, We don't have that today, but we can learn a few things. One is, we see that they go out and Jesus says, don't take anything with you. What Jesus is teaching them is God is your provider, and everyone everywhere needs to know this principle. God is your provider. You don't need to worry about what you have if you're going to have enough. And this is the big lesson that Jesus is actually going to be teaching his disciples in Mark chapter 6. God is your provider. Now, this doesn't mean that a missionary who goes out and brings a change of clothes has sinned. But they need to know that when they go out, God is the one who's going to provide that change of clothes. God's the one who's going to provide that next meal. So that's the principle that we get here. This isn't prescription. This isn't telling us this is what every missionary for all time needs to do. What else? Well, he says when you go into a house, you, let, you, you go into that house, and if they receive you, 
you stay there. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave there, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So he's saying people are either going to welcome you or they're going to reject you. If they reject you, leave. What is Jesus teaching? Same thing. He's still teaching God's provision. God will provide you access. God will provide entrance to the message that you bring into those towns. God is the one who goes before you. God is the one who comes behind you. He's your provider. Jesus is still teaching them the same lesson, and missionaries need to understand this. You can't force your way into a culture. God provides you access. All of us who are called to evangelize and make disciples need to remember this. God is the one who provides an open heart to the message of the gospel. God is our provider. Now, Mark sort of takes a, a side road here, and he talks about the death of John the Baptist. And, and I want you to think about this. As, as we read through this, we have this description of the death of John the Baptist. So let me go through it really quickly. John the Baptist calls out King Herod for his sin because he's stolen his brother's wife. Herod puts him in prison because his wife, Herodias, is angry, but Herod likes to go in and talk to him. He, he actually seems like he likes John, despite the fact that John has condemned his lifestyle. But then Herodias' daughter dances for Herod, and he promises to give her anything up to half his kingdom. And what does she ask for? John the Baptist's head on a platter. And Herod will not reject her. He won't go against her because he's sitting here in front of everybody. It's in public. And so he gives her John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, this is a story, but what can we learn from it? What can we derive from this description? Uh, a few things. One thing we can learn from this is that while we are to respect those who are in authority over us, it's important that we call out sin, and even if it means our lives. You see, John the Baptist right here, he needed to point out to the society, you know, Herod is, is ruling over us, but what he's doing in taking his brother's wife is wrong. That's sin. You can respect authority and still point out their sin. And what's interesting is we can see that he has a respectful relationship with Herod. Herod goes and talks to him. You can respect people and still call sin, sin. What else do we see? Well, we see that Herod is controlled by his appetites. Herod is controlled by his appetites. He gives in to sin. Why? Well, two reasons. This young woman, he's lusting after her, and so he promises to give her whatever she wants, and then power. He has power, and he doesn't want anybody to think low of him if he goes back on his word. And so these two things blind him, and they dull his conscience. What do we learn? We learn that our conscience can be dulled by our appetites as well when we allow them to be our God instead of allowing God to be the Lord of our heart, instead of fearing God if we fear men. And we see Herod do that, and we see the devastating effects of that. Well, what happens next? After this time, the disciples come back, and Jesus tells them, they're, they're excited because they've gone and they've, they've cast out demons, the demons have obeyed, but Jesus tells them, you know what, guys, we need to go away and we need to rest. You need to rest, you need to recover. I'm sure that Jesus is even mourning the loss of John here. And so they, they go away to a secluded place in order to rest. Now, this is description, it's not prescription, but we can glean something from it. What do we realize? We realize that as human beings, we need to take time to get away and rest. And what this means is that we're not invincible. 
we have limitations. And it's important that we operate within those limitations. So the disciples weren't even able to eat food. You need to stop. You need to pause. You need to take time to rest. You need to take time to eat food. Sometimes we think that we're invincible and we can just keep going. But here's where the story gets interesting. Jesus tells them they need to do that. They go away to a secluded place, but what happens? 5,000 people are waiting on the shore when they get there. So what does Jesus do? He doesn't send them away and say, guys, this is our retreat time. You need to leave. What does he do? He prioritizes people and their needs over his needs and the disciples' needs. And he ministers to them. He teaches them all day long. And at the end of the day, he asks the disciples to feed them. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus is still trying to teach his disciples. He's preparing them, and he asks them to feed the people. Why? Because he's teaching them the same lesson. God is your provider. God takes care of your needs. And the disciples are like, we couldn't feed these people. And so Jesus feeds 5,000. What is he showing? He's revealing God provides. God provides food. God provides for your needs. And then after he provides that food, he sends the people away, and then he goes off by himself. And while he goes off by himself, the disciples then go across the sea, and there's a storm. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus goes off by himself, and I've pointed this out before. Jesus needs alone time with his Father in prayer. Jesus needed that. We need that just as much. We need to have alone time with our Father in prayer. This is really the rest that we need, and Jesus makes time for that. Well, Jesus finishes his prayer, and what does he do? He goes ahead and catches up with the disciples because they're straining against the oars because of the storm, and Jesus sort of walks on, and it says he's going to go and he's going to walk by them, and the disciples, they, they get afraid, and they cry out to him, um, they, they think he's a ghost, and in verse 49, they cry out to him because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he gets into the boat with them, and immediately the storm is calmed. And, and what do we see here? We see that Jesus is still teaching the disciples a lesson. What is he teaching? God provides your protection. I want you to notice this. The disciples are striving against the oars. They're working against the storm, and Jesus walks through it like it's nothing. Why? Because he understands this reality. God is protecting me. God is providing protection. Jesus wants the disciples to understand God is your provider. And it says in verse 52, because they had not understood about, um, they were completely astonished because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. They have these hard hearts. They're astonished. Now, what's interesting, this word astonished, it's, it's actually the same word, um, thumazo, thumazo, that describes Jesus' response to the people in Nazareth. It said Jesus was astonished because they didn't believe in him, and he wasn't able to do many miracles there. And right here, the disciples are astonished, same word, by Jesus' miracles. These, this word sort of bookends this, this passage. The people don't have faith, and Jesus is astonished at their lack of faith. And Jesus does amazing miracles, and the disciples are astonished. The disciples' astonishment reveals that they don't understand what God is providing. God is providing for them, and they don't get it. They get to the other side, they go to Gennesaret, and what does Jesus do there? He heals sicknesses. He takes care of people's hurts. He's continuing to teach the disciples God provides. God provides for us in our sickness. 
Now, it doesn't mean that every single one of us is going to be healed, like this happens right here. This is proof of Jesus' deity right here. For us today, what we know is that in the midst of sickness, in the midst of oppression, in the midst of hunger, in the midst of a lack of rest, God is our provider. God is taking care of us. In the midst of storms, we can trust God to minister to us and take care of our needs. Remember how to read scripture. Read it in light of all scripture. When you see a description, when you see names, think about who are those people, where else do I see those names in scripture? And you'll learn something about the context. Read historical narrative as description, not prescription, but don't read into it and don't write it off. Find that balance between the two where you recognize there's something here for me today to glean from this that I can apply to my own life. Read scripture in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Let him apply it to your hearts. Thank you so much for listening to me today.